0: One of the things I hope that you've grasped this year as we've talked about life in the kingdom of God, that, that it's about a life in Christ that, that is it's bigger than us. It's, it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God, of which we get to be a part of. In our Western Christianity, I'm I'm afraid so so much of our songs and so much of what we talk about has to do with I and me what I feel, what I think, and and what what mine is all about, rather than than remembering that it's not just I and me in Christ Jesus, it's us in Christ Jesus. It's the the second plural, it's the y'all of of the kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility to our King and to our Lord. And as we're now finishing up this year, we're going to talk about today, as as we're getting close to the end, this is the 51st week of the year. How does that feel? And next Sunday is the last Last Sunday of the year, we're talking about the prince of the kingdom of God, and we're doing it by, by studying the 700-year the prophecy before, 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. We just sang what his name shall be, and we're, we're talking about this name and, and what it means. And, and today we're, we're coming to this whole concept of the leadership of our, our Lord and Savior. I want you to think for just a minute. Uh, Who who would you say in your life, in your life, in your personal life, who would you say has been uh, the the best leader you've ever served under or served with or maybe the best leader you know of? Maybe it's not someone you know, maybe someone you've read about or or, or something like that. Think about just for a minute. If you you were put on the spot, and I'm putting you on the spot, who would be the leader, the most, in your mind, this is the best leader? For me, it's a guy named Moses. He's a, he's a church catalyst he plants churches in India and he's been faithfully doing this for for, for a couple of decades now in, in the midst of a, a great deal of persecution uh, I don't know if you know this in India they've made it illegal to make disciples and, and yet Moses has still been faithful and some of the church pastors that he's led uh, they've continued at, at his recommendation and encouragement and so just a couple of weeks ago one of one of the church, uh, pastors uh, was, was, was beaten. And so it, it's a very serious time there. And, and one of the things that I admire so greatly about Moses is he continues on faithfully. He doesn't allow his circumstance to dictate his actions. He allows his Lord and his commitment to Jesus Christ. And that inspires me. And, and that's what leaders do. They inspire. I understand leadership is influence. And, and whatever influences you defines you. Whatever influences you defines you, and and so leadership is crucial, and I I think there's there's a reason why fathers have such an important place, because fathers have, in in the created order of God, a a very powerful influence. There's a a study that's come out, and and Joshua Krish, from a very secular perspective, uh, spoke of this, and I think took good courage considering the cancel culture that we now are in. And and the title of the article was The Science of Dad and the Father Effect. And and here's the summation of it. There are data-driven reasons why kids do better with a father in their lives. There's something powerful about a faithful dad. There's something about a dad and what he does that, that influences his children's life. And you can easily say that a, a great dad is a great leader. And so it should be no surprise to us that Jesus Christ, the ultimate leader, would, would be considered a father. Of all the leaders that any of us could have thought of, me, Moses, you, maybe someone else, understand that, that, that they all compel in comparison to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the ultimate leader. and So there's a reason why he, he is known as Everlasting Father. And we want to understand what that means today. And so we're going to go back to our text. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9. And again, this, these names that describe our king are, are in verses 6 and 7. Josie's going to come read for us. So Josie, come on. Up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, and be looking for the the, the two words, everlasting father, there in verse 6. Joseph, if you read both those verses for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to his spot to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josie. Appreciate you. If you would be seated and pray now uh, for the preaching of, of God's word. Jesus Christ is eternal father. Now notice there's no article there. There's no the, and that's in Important. There's a distinguishing mark here that you need to understand. This is not saying that, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, is God the Father. That God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is the Son. But he's described here as everlasting father. We need to understand this as everlasting, as ultimate, father, as chief or leader. As a matter of fact, this Hebrew word uh, is aviad. The, the everlasting father is actually a single Hebrew word. Uh, it's a contraction of these two words, Av. Uh, av being one of the first words that a, a baby, a Hebrew child, would say, Avavavav, Daddy, 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 and so this word Av uh, it has a it has a broader context of meaning. It's a noun that translates as father or chief. It's the head or founder of a household group or even a clan, a group, a kingdom. And then, again, this word odd, it's a noun that translates as everlasting, eternity, or forever. Today we're going to focus on the of. We're going to really give our focused attention to what it means that Jesus Christ is the head, that he's the chief, that he's the ultimate leader. To understand Jesus and who he is as the ultimate leader, we're going to look at a psalm, And then a saying or an experience from the life of Jesus in the New Testament. The first psalm we're going to look at is Psalm 23. So why don't you go ahead and leave Isaiah 6 and go ahead and make your way toward Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in all the world. And and this psalm, it speaks of one of these characteristics that we need to understand as to why Jesus would be called this everlasting father. He's the ultimate leader. So take note and remember. Jesus is the ultimate leader that takes responsibility for us. He takes responsibility for us. You're there in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the great things that happens when we repent and believe the gospel is that Jesus Christ takes complete responsibility for our life. Jesus Christ is alive. He, he came born of a virgin, lived a holy life. He died to pay for our sins, but death could not hold him. He has been raised and now he is alive. And as our living savior, he takes complete responsibility for our life. And one of the ways that Jesus described himself is as the great shepherd. We are the sheep of, of his life. He is the great shepherd. And as the shepherd who loves his sheep, he laid down his life for us. And as the living shepherd, as the the one who oversees the the souls of his sheep, we, we know that he's taken full responsibility for our lives. He's taken complete responsibility for our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the complete punishment for our sin. The punishment we deserved, death, he took it. And praise be to God, death could not hold him. And so he has been raised and now he's alive. And as the living Lord and now shepherd of our lives, he has a plan for our life. He has a plan for what he's going to do. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds just don't tell the sheep, hey, hope it works out for you. I'll be hanging out over here in the corner. No, shepherds lead. And they have a, they have a path where they want the, the, the sheep to go. I was, I was excited for a, a, young, a young boy that, that was saved today because in my mind I thought, God bless you. You, you are going to, you're going to avoid some of the pain that I endured as a sinner if you will stay faithful to God. You're, you're going to be guided. God has a plan. And it, it made me think, of a number of people that have gotten saved, some at eight, some at 38, some at 88. Some of you all will remember um, um, uh, there was a lady in our church from the, the Poppy family, uh, Robertson. She was saved at a, a, and baptized at 103. She lived to be 108. I don't know if I want to live that long, you know? If you're praying that for me, stop. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good for that. It, but you know, you think about God's plan at 103, at eight, at whatever. God. He takes responsibility for us, loves us before the foundation of the world. He guides our life. He has a plan for our life. He he knows what it is we need and he cares for us. Not, none of us, none of us who come to Christ are ever lost to him. So next to Psalm 23, you might want to write John 17, 12. If you'll remember, John 17 is what is called the high priestly prayer. This is one of the, if not the most beautiful and powerful prayers in in all the world that's ever existed. This is Jesus praying to the Father. The entire chapter is is the prayer of Jesus to the Father. And he spoke of of how he had taken responsibility for the disciples. And and he spoke of of the son of destruction. It says in verse 12, while I was with them... I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas had a prophecy concerning his life that he would not be faithful to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he never was. Judas came to Jesus with his agenda, Judas was a politician. What he saw in Jesus was a way of accomplishing his political aims. And we see that so much in, in modern democracies. We see, uh, we see people wanting to take Christ and hold him up and say, he's for our side. And they basically want to use Jesus and manipulate people to say, this is the one, this is the way. And we see it in in all uh, political spectrums. And this is what Judas did. Judas never gave his heart to Jesus. He was never faithful to Jesus. And so it was very easy for him to turn against Jesus. Now, Now, Peter was different. Peter denied him, and there was a prophecy that he would deny him, just as there was a prophecy that Judas would. But there was a difference. What? Peter trusted Jesus. He loved Jesus. And so when when the point came, when Judas committed treason, he then then took his own life because there was nothing worth living for, but not so with Peter. He, He knew that Christ was his shepherd. And he knew in his lowest moment that he could come to him and he could count on him and the Lord pursued him. And like a good big brother took responsibility for him and guided him. We, we had the, the, the Pettis people at our house last night, Christmas, uh, for my side of the family. And my big brother was there. And uh, some of you have heard me talk about my big brother. I'm the petite one of the Pettis clan, all right? I'm little P, all right? I'm the little guy of the family. And I was, it was so much fun to be with my, my big brother, Big P, and, to, and just to be mindful of how he's always had my back. He, he, he took responsibility for me in good days and, and bad days. When, they, when things were going good, he was the one cheering for me. He was the one shouting the loudest, um, times when people would show up and, and have some questions about where I'd been, and he'd say, "Oh, he'd been with me." And they 'd leave, and he'd turn and say, "Where you been?" Right?" He had my back. He, he was always looking out for me. You know what Jesus Christ is to those of us who believe he's our big brother. He's our, he He is the one who has come, who is the, the, the firstborn into eternal life. He is now our brother. And because of Jesus Christ, we are now co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. And now we have a big brother who's looking out for us, who's leading us, who takes responsibility for our lives. And he now guides us according to the will of the father. And he does it with Compassion, that's the second thing to write down and remember, is this compassion of this ultimate leader. Jesus is the ultimate leader that shows compassion to us. If you would, go now to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And as you go there, let me me remind you again, Psalms point us to Jesus. These songs and poems, they they say something about the prefigured Christ. They they tell us about how God was going to be at work, of who he would be, how he would function in the world. And so here we see in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord knows compassion to those who fear him. I'm sorry, so the Lord shows compassion compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust what we have in Jesus Christ is someone who gets us we have in Jesus Christ the one who formed us he made us before the foundation of the world before there was time and space Jesus was God Father Son and Holy Spirit that's why we know God is love because the one God in three persons there was love existent and that, that love is full and whole and complete. God does not need us to be complete. God is complete. He is already loved and praised. He made us for his glory, for his purpose, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. And so Jesus, this eternal God, he spoke into creation all that is, and he, he then became one of us because of our sin. Jesus was willing to come And to live a holy life, he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to have a difficult family situation, to have your family turn against you. He knows what it is to have people come against you uh, wrongly, uh, unjustly. He's been where we are, yet was without sin. He has compassion because he knows what it is to hurt he has compassion because he knows what it is to feel that that, that that pain. He became one of us. And so it's not surprising when you read the Gospels that over and over again Jesus is showing compassion. There next to Psalm 103, you might write Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew 9, 36, which is a familiar picture that is painted of Christ through the Gospels says when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd without jesus human beings are harassed and they're harassed with 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 three things one way is they're harassed is with the world The world is constantly telling those without Christ, you're not enough, you need more, you gotta be better, you gotta be the best, otherwise your life, it means nothing. If you don't have a million followers, if you don't have the the greatest human success, if if you're not the the all-time great story, then then you're meaningless and you don't matter and the world is constantly shouting that out and so we we should not be surprised that, that, that people, that they want to be affirmed, that people, they're pursuing in this worldly way somehow to to, to have their hands lifted up so that people say yeah I recognize you you're great you're awesome but you gotta understand there's always this fear I know I can't keep this up I I, I can't sustain this and there's this constant harassment by the world that says be something you can never really be and and pursue something you can never keep it's a harassment not only by the world but by the devil Here's what you got to remember about all human beings. We've all sinned and we all have secrets and those secrets bring us shame. Every person that's living their life without Jesus Christ lives with the fear that that someone's going to really find out and there's shame in that. There's shame in what they've done. There's shame in what's happened to them. There's shame. And when when you're living your life without Christ, you don't have his compassion. You don't have his love and leadership. Instead, you gotta go out into the world and you gotta prove your way. And you gotta keep all your secrets close And and you gotta feel that shame. And it hurts. And they're harassed. And then there's this flesh. There's this flesh that always wants more. Never satisfied. There's never enough. The flesh is always crying out, more, more, more. And and the the flesh pursues what, what, what the world promises and what the devil said would work, and it never does. Friends, when you see sinful people living sinful lives, don't get angry with them. Show compassion to them the way Christ has shown us compassion. Here's what you've got to understand they're empty. They're hurting, they're harassed, and they have no hope because they're helpless. They can't fix what's going on with them. They are getting a taste of hell see what they're doing right now is they're saying define me world or world let me tell you how to define me so that i can feel accepted so that so that my desires can be justified so that i have meaning in the in the things of the world and, and i can hide my shame and i can i can tell the world that it's not simple it's not wrong and, and and i'm okay and i can tell myself that and i need everyone else to tell me that i'm okay have you noticed that there's a lot of sin that's that's being put out in our world and they keep saying tell us it's okay Agree with us that it's okay. You can't tell me that that what I'm doing is wrong. You can't do that. That's the highest wrong in our culture today. And here's why they have to do that, because they're empty. And they need the world to define them. And they're empty, and so they need to have what's inside of them, not, not to cause shame and guilt, although it does. And they need their flesh to be justified, but it never does. And here's what's terrifying. If they die in that condition, they stay in that condition forever, and that's called hell. See, right now, those who are harassed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, there is some level of affirmation. They're, they're affirmed for their worldly success, for, for what's going on in their heart. There, there's some, let me tell you what, hell, what happens in hell. There's complete darkness, and there's a burning desire that's never satisfied. And everyone there is screaming out for someone else to define them. They're screaming out, and they're angry, and there's remorse, and there's bitterness because they're screaming, love me, care for me, make me matter. But there's no one there to do it because everyone there is screaming, love me, make me matter, worship me, tell me that I'm, I'm loved, tell me that I'm important. And there's nothing there to do that because that only exists in heaven because it's only in heaven that we're loved and it's only in christ that we're satisfied because see only a christian has their sin forgiven only in in christ are we filled with his presence and his power and only in christ can can we subdue the the desires of the flesh and the work of the devil and the temptation of the world only in christ can we have meaning and significance and you know what heaven is It's an eternal celebration of the joy of the meaning that we have in Christ Jesus. It will take forever for us to honor Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Friends, if if you are living without Christ, you are living a harassed and helpless life. What you can have in Christ Jesus is new life. You can become a new creation. You can be filled with the love of God. You can have God's compassion for every challenge you face and he will will guide you because he's the ultimate leader. Thirdly, he'll also provide provision. Jesus is the ultimate leader that shares provision with us. Let's go to Psalm 68 verse five. And again, we have this, this paternal description that that speaks of the nature of God, of who he is and what he does. Psalm 68 verse five says, father of the fatherless and protector of widows, those who have no identity, orphans in the world, and those who cannot care and help themselves, he provides for in his holy habitation, in who he is, in the very core of his identity, God is holy. And he provides for the fatherless. He is not only the the maker and sustainer, he he is willing to share it. And and there's two ways that God shares. Theologians use these terms, I think they're helpful. Everyone receives from, from Christ what is called common grace. Common grace as maker and sustainer god gives sun and and rain and and food and provision to everyone whether they believe in, in him or not so an example you might put this next to to uh, psalm uh, 68 is is mark chapter 6 verse 42 mark chapter 6 verse 42 it says and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So there were probably 20,000 plus people there on that hill that day where where Jesus had compassion and he made provision of a meal. They weren't all believers. It was just common grace. He saw those made in his image and, and Jesus provided for a physical need, not because anyone deserved it, it was grace, but it was a common grace. It was given to both those who believed and those who did not believe. So there's a common grace, but then there's also a saving grace. And it is a particular grace that belongs only to those who repent and believe the gospel. You might write down 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9 and 10. Speaking of God, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus is the ultimate provider and the only provider of salvation to humanity. He is the only one who has the right to pay for our sin because he alone is holy. He lived a holy life and he died an atoning death. And before I met him, Let me tell you what I was. And what some of you sadly are today is you're the fatherless. You're an orphan in the world. You're out making your own way as best you can, but you're on your own. And and you don't have his love. You know what the father did for me? He adopted me, he brought me into his family. And he, he took this weak, sinful, awful person and he brought me into his family because of my big brother, Jesus Christ, who now I am co-heirs with Christ in. And now I have his life in the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom of God by adoption. And now he cares for me as he would a widow. This is the God we serve. This week I saw something and I'll try not to cry as I describe it. I, I saw a young person experience what I did with God. One of our families, after over two years of, of providing foster care to a little boy was allowed to adopt him. And I've seen it before, but I cry every time. The, the, the judge, after they've gone through all stuff, the stuff, he looks at the parents and he asks questions. And he says to this mom and dad, says, Will you provide for this boy? And they said, Yes, we will provide for this boy. They said, Do you understand that this son will have complete inheritance right along with all your other children, will have all the same inheritance rights as your biological children? They said, Yes, we understand. They said, do you understand, the judge says, you understand that it is as though that that this child has been born to you biologically? He said, if you can imagine, this is no different than if we were a hospital right now and and this this boy was handed to you as though born from you. This is fully your child in every sense of the way. Then they said, what will you name this child? And they gave him his legal name as their name. He took on their name. And then I hadn't heard this one before, and this one took me over the top. He said, do you love this boy? And they said, yes, we love this boy. You know what God the Father did with me? He gave me his name. He brought me into his family. He made me me to have full inheritance rights with Jesus Christ, his holy son. It is as though I was born from the beginning to him. And there is nothing that will ever change my place in his family forever and ever. This is the leadership of Jesus Christ. He he brings us, he makes it so that we can be in the family of God. He is the ultimate leader that provides what we long for. And lastly, Jesus is the ultimate leader that gives discipline to us. Discipline is an act of love. Any parent that is unwilling to discipline their child does not love their child, they love themselves. It always bothers me when I hear parents talk about how they were going to do everything that their child wants. Go to Psalm 94. Psalm 94. A loving parent says no. A parent who loves themselves says, I'm going to do what is ever easiest for me. And I'm going to let this child have whatever this child wants. You know what a loving parent does? It says no, and when the child flips out on the ground in Walmart and embarrasses you, that's love. You're willing to take embarrassment because you know what's best for the child. Friends, when God commands us and calls us to what is best, that's an act of love. When he says, be holy as I am holy, that's an act of love. When he corrects us for being unholy, that's an act of love. It says in in Psalm 94, beginning in verse 12, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. God does not spoil us. When we think about three circles and we understand what he provides for us, and a new life. We understand when we repent and believe the gospel, we are freed. Look at that to pursue and recover God's design. That takes discipline. It takes the discipline of God, and it takes our discipline to choose to pursue what God has for us. God's design, God's God's provision and, and purpose, and, and and all that He wants for us. This is this is God being faithful and kind. Last week, I was I was listening. Um, to my wife, Miss Carrie, uh, talk with a a parent about their three-year-old and struggling with this three-year-old. And Carrie was able to comfort because, you know, we had two children that escaped three different nurseries, all right? They were giftedly bad children, some of them, all right? Now, our daughter's close to perfect, but the other two... I mean, really, I mean, and so we were able to, it was so funny to hear her kind of talk about this and I was like, I had blocked that out of my brain. I never wanted to think about that again. They were horrible, terrible children. But we disciplined them and understand what discipline is. Discipline is a giving and a taking. It's a giving and a taking. It gives expectations. Mom and dad, you need to know your child well enough to to what they can really do. See, a good leader knows how hard and far to push the one they're leading. Mom and dad, you need to know your child well enough to how hard and how far to push them. Listen, mom and dad, some of you have, their very best is is a C in algebra, okay? Can I get a testimony? Listen, if their best is a C, don't accept a D and sure don't accept an F. You press them to what to what it, they can do. if it's in the arts, if it's in athletics, whatever it is, find out what your child is passionate about, and come alongside them and, and expect expect the very best out of them. That's what discipline is. It's expectant. It says, "This is what you can do. Now, no excuses, you're not a victim. Do it. That's discipline. That's love. You know it's easy? I'll oh, just do whatever feels good. Do it if you want it. Do it if, it if it's okay with you. You know, just, but if you're going to do it, if it's going to be simple, do it at our house. That way it's safe. That is ridiculous. That Mom and dad, if that's you, I'm going to tell you, you are not loving your child. You are loving you and you need to be disciplined. The greatest thing you can do as a parent is discipline your child and say, we're going to pursue the very best with what God's given you. And then when it's not there, there's a taking away. There's a taking away. So, uh, you know, you don't give car keys to an eight-year-old. You just don't do it. They say you give it to a 16-year-old. We'll see. We'll see. But here's the thing. If the 16-year-old doesn't live up to the responsibility that's been given, you know what you do? You take it away. Here's, here's something that, that uh, Ms. Carey taught me and that we've done all the years of, of our, our, our raising of our children. We've always treated our children to the level of their maturity. So if a child is 12 and they start acting like a four-year-old, we treat them like four-year-olds and that's discipline. So you know what you do with a four-year-old? You hold the four-year-old's hand. You do the whole crisscross hold hand too. It's just not the soft hand. You hold their hand because you hold the hand of a four-year-old. And you know what you do? You spend a lot of time with a four-year-old. Twelve-year-olds, a little bit of space, a little bit of room. Maybe you can close your door. I'm not getting in that argument. I'm just saying maybe. But you know what? A four-year-old, doors are open. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting in the room holding their hand because they wanted to act like they were four. And it always made me laugh when they decided they were going to be four and then all of a sudden plans are being made. Can I go to this party? I said, sure. When do we leave? (laughs) Well, you're not going. Oh, you wanted to be four today. So, yeah, we can go. I'll get my groove on with you. Come on. (laughs) Let's roll. And so now now the child doesn't. Oh, I can't believe. You know what that's called? That's called love. That says to a child, I expect more from you. And if you don't want to live up to what you can do, I'll treat you with the maturity that you're displaying. That's exactly what God does for us. You might write down Revelation 2 and 3, the whole both chapters there next to Psalm 94 Because what Jesus is doing in here is he's disciplining his churches. There's seven churches that were there in Turkey. And so he wrote seven letters that are symbolic of the all churches for all time. I use this example, this first one, Revelation two, beginning in verse three, writes to this church and says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. You've done what you're supposed to do. You've lived up to what I expect You've been given Christ Jesus. You've been given love. You've been given the word. You're doing what I would expect you to do. Good job. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You're going through the motions. You don't have the heart for Christ. You've lost your first love. You don't have passion for Jesus. Maybe you like worship. That's why we have people that want to rate our worship services every Well, I I didn't really like that. Do you know it's not for you? You know, how many people are treating Christmas like this? All right, let's reverse it. Let's say it was your birthday coming up next Sunday. And we didn't talk anything about you or celebrate you at all. Instead, we were giving gifts to everybody else but you. And we would sing songs, but they really weren't about you or to you. They were just kind of songs that we like because they make us feel good. What kind of birthday is that? Why do we do that? Because we've lost our first love. Because Christ isn't first. What we love is stuff. What we love is sentimentality. What we love is the power that tradition brings and control to our existence. That's what this church was doing. So what what did Jesus do? He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll treat you the way your maturity demands. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I'm going to take your pastor from you is what he was saying. You want to wallow around without church and without a heart for God? You want to to put... Christ in your terms and deal with him when, when you feel like it and when you don't, I'll just remove the leadership that I'm blessing you with and I'll let you wallow around in it. So you know, within, within a short period of time, historically speaking, all those churches died. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And in his love, he disciplines us. And he says, be holy as I am holy. Don't tell me what you want to do. Do what you're told to do. Don't, don't tell me what, what you're slightly interested in. Do what you were made to do. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever using your gifts and abilities to the praise of his name and the blessing of those you love and care for. Don't you dare do less. And if you do, don't be angry when the Lord disciplines you. When you feel the weight of the consequence of your sin, be grateful because that's what a loving father does. So friends, let me ask you, is Jesus your leader or not? Is he the one that you're taking, that, that you're trusting to be responsible for you, to have compassion for you, to, to, to provide for you? Is he, does he have complete authority to discipline you and to move you to, to where he knows what is best? Friends, if not, let me tell you what you are. You are lost. And you're gonna have to rely on the world and the devil and the flesh, and they will fail you and you will suffer for it. Friends, turn to the Lord. Turn to this ultimate leader. He is what you need. He is what your heart longs for. And he will give you rest. He will make you what you wanted to be. He will push you that way. And it will all be done in love for his glory and your benefit to the praise of his name and the kingdom of God. Friends, do not not leave this place without Christ. And if you claim Christ, don't leave this place without Christ making sure that he is first in your heart in every aspect of your being. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh Lord, you are a great and mighty God and you are the ultimate leader and you have provided all that is needed for our lives to to have what we were made for, a relationship with you peace with you, peace within, peace with others, guided according to a plan, filled with with the the goodness of your being that, that resides in us and has transformed us, making us a new creation. Father, I know there's some here today who've never received that, and I pray today they would. And for those of us who have, I pray today that we delight in your leadership. We rejoice in your provision. We acknowledge your glory and your greatness. And we cry out in celebration in this season of who you are. And may these songs, may they they truly stir our hearts because they are true and right. You are worthy, O God. And so we rejoice. We celebrate and we praise. In Jesus' name, amen.